Well, good morning. It's nice to be with you all again this morning. I guess it's been several months since we've been here. I think I checked my date book. It was February. And things have changed in this world since February, have they not? But anyhow, it's nice to be back with you all. I hope and pray that our students uh, that are staying in your house here help you out from time to time and do a good job. And uh, they'll be graduating in, I guess, June, Lord willing. And, you know, Leonard will be working with the church at Fordham Road. And Michael's already been offered a job. I don't know if he's going to take it, but he's been offered a position, and we'll see. You know, the English language is a wonderful language. They say that and Mandarin are really the two hardest languages on earth to learn. And it may just be that they're so difficult to learn because they are different from all of the other languages in the world. Uh, the structure, the way that they're made, so therefore things are just, you know, sometimes difficult when it comes to other people understanding them. But we have a lot of marvelous words in our language. Words like family, words like hope, words like home. Um, me and my wife are from up north originally, but my daughter was born in Texas. So she's got a big shirt at the house and it has the emblem of Texas on it and right in the middle says H-O-M-E. Home means a lot. The word children, the word grandchildren means a lot to a lot of us. But perhaps the most beloved word in the entire English language is the word grace. It's a word that we all love, a word that we all care about. It means so much to us. I do a lot of funerals, unfortunately, and as I do these funerals from time to time, several songs are always led, but it always seems that, that song written by John Newton, Amazing Grace, is the tearjerker. That's the one when I'm sitting out up front and I'm overlooking the congregation or the audience and they start leading Amazing Grace, people start crying. Saints and non-saints alike. And it just means a lot to us. Written by John Newton in the late 1700s. As we think of grace this morning, we want to think of the concept of honoring God's grace. When we look at chapter 1 and in verse 6, the King James says, To the praise of the glory of His grace. Other versions translated a little differently. McCord says that we are to praise the splendor of His grace. A paraphrased version that I picked up says that we are to honor His glorious grace. And that is the theme of the lesson this morning, to honor God's grace. Now, why is it that we should honor God's grace? Well, Paul gives us three reasons in Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2 as to why we should honor God's grace. And the first reason we should honor God's grace is because He has made us alive. He's given us life. If you have your Bibles, chapter 2. I'm going to start reading in verse 1 and go through 5. Chapter 2, 1 through 5. The Bible says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among, among whom also... 
We all had our conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature the children of wrath even as others. In verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, notice what he has done for us. He's quickened us together with Christ. By grace are we saved. So number one this morning, we want to honor God's grace because God's grace has made it possible for us to be alive in him. Notice in verse 1 and in verse 5, he says, in our sins, we are dead. When you think of something that is dead, what is it beneficial for? I mean, dead is dead. If all of a sudden the, all the light bulbs in this room went out, well, what would those light bulbs be good for? Nothing. They're dead. You have a laptop and, the main, and let's say the hard drive dies in it. What good is the laptop? It's dead. If you're lost out in the middle of nowhere and you go to pick up your cell phone to look at the GPS to get you back to somewhere and the battery's dead, well, what good is the cell phone? It's dead. The point is, when we are in sin, following the lust of our flesh, following the prince of the world, as far as God is concerned, we are dead. We are no benefit to him whatsoever. But thankfully, because of the grace of God, we can be made alive together in him. So this is the first reason why we should want to honor God's grace today throughout our lives. And that is because he's taken that which was dead of no use. In Hosea chapter 8 and verse 8, he talks about those being in sin, being of vessels where there is no delight. When you stop and think of a vessel where there is no delight in it, what do you do with those vessels? Uh, I know here in the Metroplex, we have garbage trucks. They come once or twice a week. And typically, we take out things that are vessels wherein there is no delight. We don't want them. Our neighbors don't want them because if they're like me, I might go through their trash from time to time to see what I want. I don't know. But no one wants it. So someone comes and picks it up and they take it to an area and they bury it. It's dead. No one wants it. So therefore, my friends, God has taken vessels wherein there was no delight, and he has made us alive for him. So therefore, we want to honor his grace. Secondly, why do we want to honor his grace? Well, because as we see in chapter 1 and in verse 5, he has adopted us. He has adopted us. You know, the concept of adoption is not a Jewish concept. The Jews did not understand the concept of adoption. And the reason I say that is because as you read the Old Testament, underneath the Old Testament economy, if you died, someone in your family was required to take your children. I have two younger brothers and a younger sister. And if I would die right now, according to Jewish law, and just throw this out there for you all to know, I am a Jew, by the way. So if I would die according to our old traditions, well then Darren and Jason have to take my children and to raise them. If they can't, then Lisa. That would be her responsibility. If I don't have siblings, then there's an uncle or an aunt, you know, the kinsman redeemer, as we read about in the book of Ruth. It would be their responsibility to take my children and to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So the concept of adoption is a Roman concept. 
And Paul was borrowing that language from the Romans. And the point is, when you adopt a child from the world and you bring them into your family, they're yours. They now are on equal par with all your other children. They are allowed to have an adoption rights or family rights and inheritance rights. And therefore, because of the love of God, because of his grace, we today are honored to be his adopted children, meaning all the blessings that flow upon his regular children are ours, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Spiritual blessings like prayer, assurance, hope, love. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. But all of these things, I keep trying to find the right spot. Every now and then you can find it. But all of these things are blessings that God has given us that we can have in Christ today. But not only that, there's inheritance rights. And that's what the grace of God is offering unto us. Inheritance rights like salvation, a victor's crown, a crown of hope, a crown of righteousness. All of these are ours because... All of these are ours because of the grace that has been offered to each and every one of us. Thirdly, we could see today that we should want to honor grace because as we can see in chapter 1 and in verse 7, chapter 1 and in verse 7, we have been redeemed. You know, the word redeemed comes from redemption, and a concept means to buy back. So we want to honor God's grace because we have been redeemed. Now, again, in America, we really don't understand the concept of redemption the way they did back in those days. Our concept is watered down just a little bit. In America today, the concept of redemption means to buy back, but it goes like this. Let's say you decide to go out and buy yourself a new pickup truck because it's Christmas. You know, you worked hard and you earned it. So you're going to buy yourself a new pickup truck. If you're going to buy one, you might as well buy an American pickup truck. You might as well buy a Ford, right? And you need to buy a Ford. That's what my father-in-law worked. He worked for Ford, retired from Ford, so why not? So you buy yourself a Ford, and you're going to get a good one. Might as well be an F-250 or larger. Might as well have a lift kit with the leather and the whole nine yards on it, right? It'll only run you 70, 80, 90, $100,000 these days. You put it on loan. You pay one payment, two, three, and four, and then five and six, guess what? Something happens, and you can't make the payment. Well, what are they going to do? Well, what they're going to do is they're going to come one day, one night, and they're going to pick that thing up, and they're going to redeem it. They're going to take it home. That's the American concept of redemption. No big deal in the end. But the Roman concept of redemption is a big deal. Because in the Roman days, let's say you had a Ford chariot loan and you failed to pay your chariot loan. Well, they would not only come and take the chariot, but they would take you and your wife and your children and your animals, your critters, your house, all your property. And they would take you and your family and put you on the slave block in the middle of town. You would stand there beside your wife, beside your daughters, naked. They would strip you bare in all of your shame. And they would allow slave owners to come by and to bid on you, perhaps to separate the family forever. 
Well, redemption is this. The father walking by that slave block and seeing you in sin. Going home and telling his son, said, son, you go back and you purchase that gentleman. You go back and you purchase that young lady. You purchase those children and bring them into the family. And this is why we went to honor God's grace today. We went to honor his grace because of number one, he's taken that which was dead and he's given us life. Amen? Number two, he has made us the adopted children of God. And number three, he bought us back when no one else could. You don't have enough money, enough perfection to ever straighten your situation out with God. We can't redeem ourselves, so he sent his son to do it for us. So therefore, we want to honor his grace. It's kind of like this. When my wife and I lived in Tanzania for a long time, we were good friends with a jeweler. And from time to time, we'd go in and see her. Her, her name was Doreen. And when we were there, people would want to come in and see Tanzanite. If you know what a Tanzanite is, it's like a, it's a, in a diamond family, or they'd want to see diamonds. So she would get out a black cloth, which we're going to say is sin, put it on a cabinet top, and then lay the loose diamonds, us, on top of the black cloth. Well, as long as those loose diamonds or Tanzanites are on the black cloth, they're just stones on a black cloth. That's really what they are. But when you pick them up to the light, the grace of God, and they hit the diamond contrasted to the black, what happens? That's when they start to sparkle. That's when they start to shine. That's when our billfolds get a little lighter, men. It's because the shine is precious. And that's what we are today in the sight of God. When the grace of God reflects off of us, that's when we're alive for him. That's when we pop. So therefore, it's about honoring his grace. You know, in Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3, Paul was writing all about this, of course, giving us doctrinal reasons to honor God's grace. And when you look at Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3, there is not one command in those three chapters. All Paul is doing in those three chapters is laying down a framework for chapters 4, 5, and 6. And the point is, if these doctrinal things are true, then you better be doing chapters 4, 5, and 6. Well, chapters 4, 5, and 6 are filled with 35 different imperatives. 35 different commands. So there's not one command in chapters 1, 2, and 3. But you get to chapters 4, 5, and 6, and he starts out in chapter 4 and tell, tells us in verse 1 that you must walk worthy of your vocation. He tells us in chapter 17 that we are to not walk as the Gentiles walk, or in verse 17. In chapter 5 and verse 1, or chapter 5 and verse 2, he says, walk in love. In chapter 5 and verse 8, walk as children of the light. We get to chapter 5 and verse 18, and be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. We get to verse 25, and he commands his husbands Love your wives as Christ has loved the church. Well, how has Christ loved the church? Well, he loves us warts and all. And if he loves me warts and all, then how am I supposed to love my wife? Warts and all. Well, what about this one? Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1. When I was a young kid, I had to memorize this every day. And then a belt followed. 
Children, <laughs> obey your parents. You know it. And the Lord, honor thy father and thy mother, for this is the first commandment given unto law. I had that one down by the time I was 18 months old. Well, friends, we want to honor God's grace. So we take those 35 commandments, we read them and study them, and we shape and mold ourselves. But Peter narrows it down to two commandments. And if you have your Bible, 2 Peter. 2 Peter. Now I want to put 2 Peter in perspective. 2 Peter is now an aged apostle. He's about to pass on to another realm, to eternity. And he is writing one last letter to people who he loves, who he cares about, telling them what they need to do in order to toe the line so they could see one another in eternity. So that's what this letter is about. Let's put this in perspective. There's someone probably in your life whom you love, whom you care about, that has always had your back, right? They've always told you the truth whether you wanted to hear it or not. But you knew you could count on them for wise counsel. You may not have always agreed, but you knew they loved you. And they were going to tell you what you needed to hear. You may not have liked it again. Now imagine that person's on their deathbed with COVID somewhere, and they're dying. You can't be with them. You can't be with the family. You're secluded. And that person sits down and writes one final letter to you telling you what you need to know, what you need to hear, what you need to do to find eternity. To cross that river on the other side where all will be well with your soul. And then the person dies, and someone hand delivers that letter to you two weeks after their death, and you get that letter, what are you going to do? You're going to treat it like a birthday card and a kid, open it up, rip it open, look for money, no money, <laughs> done with that you're going to take that letter and you're going to read it you're going to treasure it you're going to appreciate it you might even laminate it you might even frame it you might pull it out from time to time and put yourself in remembrance of the things that this person said to you that's what second peter is he's writing to his spiritual children and he told them in second peter chapter 3 and verse 18 that you need to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You want to pop for God? You want to shine for Him? Honor His grace? Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The word grace there means to grow in what constitutes Christian religion. It means to grow in what makes God God. Well, what makes God God? What should we grow in? Well, Peter said in chapter 1, starting in verse 5, and besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and the virtue knowledge, add to your knowledge temperance and the temperance patience and the patience godliness and the godliness brotherly kindness and the brotherly kindness charity. And notice in verse 8, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful meaning they make you fruitful for God. They make you a benefit for Him. These are the Christian graces that we are to add to our lives to honor His grace today. And notice He tells us here in verse 5, 
that we need to do this with all diligence. The word diligence is found three times in 2 Peter. It's found here. It's found also in verse 10, where he says, Brethren, give diligence to make your calling and your election sure. It's found in chapter 3 and verse 14, when he says, Be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. So meaning when it comes to these Christian graces, I need to be diligent in adding these things to my lives. That means, you know, not whenever I feel like it. I'll get to it when I get old. That means now. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 through 2 that we are to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice for him. And the point is we must be willing to do what we got to do to claw ourselves on top of that altar and to lay ourselves down for him. We are to be diligent. When you think of someone that's diligent, what do you think of someone? What do you think of them? That's someone that perspires. That's someone that works hard. That's someone that has a singular focus. Someone that's willing to do what they got to do to get the job done. Diligence. Today's football day, right? Used to be the Lord's day, but we kind of messed that up in America, so it's the Lord's day slash football day. But football's happening. The Cowboys are playing, I don't know, 12, 1 o'clock today. Well, it's supposed to be prime time, but they're no longer prime time material, brethren. It just is what it is, so they bumped them. But anyhow, some teams are going to be down by 14 points, I'm sure of it, 10, 14 points going into fourth quarter. And their coaches are going to get them on the sidelines. They're going to say, gentlemen, young men, you can do it. You have the talent. You have the skills. You have the abilities. I believe in you. You can do it. Go out there and scratch and claw and fight and push and bite and do whatever you've got to do to win. And they're going to psych these men up, and they're going to go out there, and someone will come back and win. We understand the concept of just giving our all, 110%, leaving on the field, blood, sweat, and tears. That's what God is asking for us when it comes to adding these Christian graces to our lives. Not to be flippant about it, not to be casual about it, but this is what makes God God. And if we want to honor him, then therefore we remember these things and we try to add them to our lives every day. So number one, you want to honor God's grace? Grow into Christian graces. Number two, you want to honor God's grace, 2 Peter 3 and 18, grow in knowledge. Grow in knowledge. You know, there's a lot of knowledge in this world today. There's secular knowledge, there's biblical knowledge, a lot of knowledge. There's knowledge that will save and knowledge that will not save. Believe it or not, even when it comes from God's Word, there's knowledge that will not save. Uh, we can read about that in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 7 where Paul wrote to Timothy and said there are people who were ever learning but never coming to what? To the truth. They're always learning. There are people out there that could tell you how many verses there are in the Bible, how many chapters there are. They could tell you how many times the word love appears, how many times the word grace appears. They could tell you what the, all the Greek words mean, but they can't tell you what you must do in order to be saved. Acts 2.38 to them is foreign. They know a lot about God's word, but they can't explain this that we took this morning, nor do they want to. There are people who have a lot of knowledge about this book, but they'll get nowhere. Paul talks about in Romans chapter 10 and verse 2, I believe, those that have a zeal without knowledge, meaning they're very zealous at doing the Lord's work. I have a video that I share with the students at the school preaching, and I believe it was filmed here in Dallas. But it was in a worship assembly, 
And this woman literally came up the aisle while they were singing some song, and she had a hula hoop in her hand. And she got to about right here in front of everybody, and she started hula hooping and waving a finger in the air. Zealous? Oh, man, that's zeal. That is clearly zeal, to be able to go up and try to hula hoop in front of 100 people. According to knowledge? Not at all. Not from this book. So the reality is, yes, there is a knowledge in the world today that will not save, but there is a knowledge that will set you free, John chapter 8 and verse 32. There is a knowledge that will sanctify your soul, set you apart for God, John chapter 17. There is a knowledge that will make you wise unto salvation, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and in verse 15. And it comes from rightly dividing this book. Knowledge, grow in knowledge. What does that mean? What well, means to grow in an intimate relationship with God? That's what it really means when all's said and done. Now, my wife and I, we met in southern Indiana 379 years ago. And she was 15, I was 18, high school, sophomore, senior. And I was just graduating. And we started dating then. And for you young kids, man, we got married right out of high school in those days. Sometimes we didn't even wait for the end. And you know what? It worked for us. Things have changed a little bit. But we've been together for, well, 380 years. A long time. Besides God, she's my number one subject on planet Earth. I mean, we've been together so long. I could tell you everything about her. We've been together twice as long, if not more now, than before, you know, we ever met. I know what makes her smile. I know what makes her sad. I know what I can buy her, and because I bought it for her, then I'll get a steak dinner later. And I know if I forget certain days, it's going to be ugly. We know that about our spouses, right? You've been together because you study them. You learn them. <laughs> I hope so. If not, then you're in trouble. If not, I, I know a counselor or two that can help you out. But we learn them. You know, there are just certain things I could say right here, and it'll just make her smile. And there are certain things I could say right here, it could get ugly. Just one or two words. You know what I'm talking about. But that's the level of knowledge I have about her. And that's the level of knowledge we can have about God. That's what we should ascertain from this book. What makes him smile? What makes him upset? What makes him mad at us? What will make him proud of us? We can open up this book and know these things. And that's the relationship that we should want to develop with God if we want to honor his grace. Friends, there is no greater gift than the gift of his son through grace. And we should live our lives each and every day with gratitude, thanking him, not just verbally, but thanking him through my Christian graces, through my actions and my knowledge of him, thanking him by honoring his grace each and every step of my pilgrimage. And if you're here this morning and perhaps you have not been honoring his grace Perhaps you've never been baptized for the remission of your sins. 
to even put you into his adopted family. Well, we want to give you this opportunity this morning to do just that. Confess his name before men. Repent and be baptized for remission of your sins. And then you can come up out of that watery grave shining for him as a light upon a hill. Perhaps you did that once upon a time, but you've stopped. Perhaps you're focused. You've lost your diligence. Well, if you need to regain it, you need the prayers of the church. Friends, let's leave here, if we're not already. Let's leave here shining for him. Whatever your need may be, come now as we stand and sing. Oh.